Amen. Let's pray together before we come and gather around the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be found in your house this morning. We thank you for this physical space in which we can gather as your people. But Lord, we thank you that as we call this your house, your word also tells us that we are to be temples of your Holy Spirit. That in essence, we are your house. So Lord, we pray today that as we gather, that you would speak to us, yes, corporately in this place. But you would speak into each of our lives in a very deep and personal way. That this, the living word of the living God, would pierce the hearts of us, your living people. And that you would have your way in us, transforming us into your likeness for the sake of the kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a pastoral team, we meet and we plan <coughs> on what we're going to be preaching on. We plan, we pray into that. We don't just decide we're going to preach on this. Um, but we do pray into that and as you know over the last number of weeks we've taken a break for from Father's Day until well supposed to be this week looking at the Sermon on the Mount but as the lead pastor I decided I would take liberties um, and I really sensed that whenever I was away in Arizona for my brother's ordination that there were certain things that the Lord was speaking into my life personally. Uh, and made it very clear that it wasn't just for my life, but was for the life of our congregation here at McGee. And so I do pray that you'll humour me this morning as we maybe jump around the scriptures a little bit. If you do have your Bibles with you, I encourage you. It's not going to appear on the screen behind, so I do encourage you to flick or click along to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to be picking up at verse 21. Mark chapter 5 from verse 21. But as I said, I was in Arizona this past week. It was 45 degrees Celsius. It was roasting warm. And uh, Chloe was saying yesterday how lovely a day it was. And I'm like, it's 24 degrees colder than it was the other day. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's, it was really lovely. It was great to be with family. Great to, first time that I had seen my brother since our Chloe and I's wedding in November 2018 and the first time I'd seen mum and dad for seven weeks because we were with them uh, seven weeks ago so uh, but certainly it was lovely to be uh, be there and I told William I said William you lead worship in McGee all the time I says if Gary or Henry aren't available you're up leading us in worship so he says well tell tell my other congregation I say hi uh, so he says hello uh, and greetings from mum and dad as well but all that to say, it's great to be back and it's great to be with the Lord's people exactly where the Lord has placed us. Because whilst it's great to worship with other people and whilst it's great to be ministered to, there is something to be said and something deeply special in gathering with the people that God has placed you with. And it's a real privilege to be back with you this morning. But I want to set our passage this morning in a little bit of context. Mark's gospel is, goes at a ferocious pace. The word suddenly, or straight away, or after this, appears in the gospel of Mark 
more than 45 times. Peter, as he is depicting this to John, uh, to John Mark, to, to write down, you imagine Peter as somebody who probably had a little bit of ADHD, right? He was like, and then this happened, and then this happened, oh, squirrel, right? He was just, he was just so full of the love of the Lord that he couldn't wait to tell you what was next. He just absolutely ferocious pierced. And what has happened at the end of Mark chapter 4, now leading into Mark chapter 5, is Jesus and his disciples are on a boat. And they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes for a wee nap. Have you ever wondered if it was okay to take a nap in the middle of the day? Jesus napped. Right? And we are called to be like Christ. Right? Jesus napped. And Jesus is taking a wee nap on the boat and you know the story perhaps but if you don't I'm gonna say and even if you do I'm gonna tell you again the wind and the waves start people are absolutely terrified the storm and we can imagine it is a storm like no other because he's in the fishing boat with fishermen seasoned fishermen who have given up the fishing trade to follow after him and we are told that they are terrified they are terrified on my flight back from Arizona, the captain came over the tannoy and he says, well folks, uh, we're experiencing some, some turbulence. You'll see that the fasten seatbelt signs are on. Um, and uh, I just want you to know that this is nothing as bad as what I've flown through before. And suddenly the anxiety dropped. A pilot who knew what he was doing. A pilot who was able to say, it's going to be a wee bit rocky, but it's going to be all right. Jesus is in, in a boat with fishermen and they're running around like headless chickens. This is a bad storm. This is a really bad storm. And they go and they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, do you not care about us? If I was one of the disciples, I'm like, Jesus, are you dead? Like we're getting thrown all over the place and you're snoring your head off. What's that about? And the disciples are with Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Lord, do you not care? And you can imagine Jesus is like, for goodness sake, here we go again. And he just gets up, and we're told that he goes to the edge of the boat, and he says three words. He reaches out his hand, and he says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves cease. And here we see a picture of Jesus having power over nature. Jesus has power over nature and he displays that power in that moment then the story follows on that as they as they come to port they they land on an island and there's a man there who is possessed by demons we're told that his name is legion because there were a legion of demons within him he is tormented he is just completely riddled with the things he's 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 almost rabbit he's almost rabbit with it you know and, and people he, he's chained and he's, he's broken his chains off and you know it's it's people are terrified of this man legion i'm about going into too much detail we're just told that jesus casts the demons out of him sends them into a herd of swine and some pigs who then throw themselves off the cliff edge. And here we see that this man who was possessed by these evil spirits, here we see these man, this man who was possessed by demons, 
that with a word from Jesus is healed. And here we see that Jesus has and displays power over evil. He's power over nature. He's power over evil. And as we're about to discover as we continue on in Mark chapter 5, Jesus will display that he is power over death. Power over death. So let's pick up our reading at verse 21. When he had crossed again over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he looked, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lit and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the, people cry, see the people crying against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, woman knowing what had happened came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And we'll pick up the reading again from verse 35 a little bit later on. But I wonder if we see the significance of what is happening here. Jesus lands in one of the cities of the Decapolis. It was called the Decapolis because it was an area where there were 10 cities. And Jesus is likely landed in the city of Capernaum here. And he's met by a temple official by the name of Jairus, who tells of his ill daughter who is close to death. He's saying, if only you could get to her. If only you could get to her. She could be made well. So Jesus, probably tired, has compassion and goes with Jairus. And along the way, a crowd has caught wind of what has probably happened. Where they probably caught wind of how Jesus has cast out the demons from the man. They probably caught wind of how the, the, the wind and the waves have obeyed his voice. So they gathered round. And we've got to realise this is the day before social media. This is the day before um, text messages and WhatsApps. They wouldn't make this big WhatsApp group and say, Jesus landing in 10 minutes, meet you there. 
Jesus' reputation went before him. We see he was a man who had done this time and time and time again. It was as though everything he touched turned to gold. And everybody wanted a little bit of it. So we're told that a crowd has gathered round. And as Jairus, a synagogue official, a religious leader, has managed to push his way to the front and, and get Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter, the crowd are still relentless. And they're all packed in. I wonder if you've ever been at a concert or at a sports stadium or even on an airplane which was full and you felt like you were one of the herded cattle. That you were so tightly in, and maybe your uh, claustrophobia was beginning to kick in a little bit. You imagine the biggest crowd that you have maybe been a part of, and this is probably what has happened in Capernaum. There's not really much room to move. Jesus, is, Jesus and his disciples and Jairus and his officials are having to work their way through this crowd, and they're in a wee bit of a hurry. If you or if someone you loved was sick, you'd want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. You'd want to do everything that you could do, everything within your part, to make sure that you got there as quickly as possible. But the crowd are hemmed in. And we're told that, imagine you're a disciple in this moment. Imagine you're Peter or James or John or another one of the disciples who are with Jesus in this moment. And you're rushing through, you're almost having to push your way through, and Jesus just stops. And he looks around, and he goes, who touched me? Now, if you're Peter, James, or John, you were probably brought up to believe that there's no such thing as a stupid question. But you're probably thinking to yourself, is this guy for real? Now, we've just seen what he's done, but what on earth? Who touched me? And we're told that the disciples turned to him and said, Jesus, look at, look at the size of the crowd. Jesus, uh, Peter is depicting this scene and dictating these scenes to John Mark, who's penning them down. So I imagine it was actually Peter who said it, but he's too embarrassed to turn around and say, then I turned to Jesus and said, right? Who touched me? What do you mean, who touched you? Look at the crowd. Look at the crowd that has gathered round, but Jesus is incessant. See, what the disciples seem to forget, and what we so often seem to forget, is that Jesus is God. Jesus knows. We're told that Jesus felt power depart from him. It was as though some of that healing power just went. And he's looking around. Who touched me? Have you ever asked the question that you know the answer to? Jesus is the all-knowing God. Jesus knows who touched him. Who touched him? And he gives this woman an opportunity. This woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. The way that this is written tells us that she was bleeding from her womb for 12 years. She was having some what us men would call women issues because we don't like to talk about it. but she was she was she was seriously having problems and she had we're told that she had spent every last penny that she had she had 
in modern terms, she had tried every experimental treatment that there was out there. She had spent everything she could to go private to try and get an end to all of this. But to no avail. In fact, we're told that instead of getting better, she was getting progressively worse. She spent all of her money. There's no mention of a husband, which is significant in Jewish times. But even if there was a husband, you see, because this woman was bleeding, people who were bleeding were deemed to be unclean. And if you were unclean, you had to live separately from everybody else. You were pushed to the margins of society. This woman is pushed to the margins of society. And worse than all of that, she's a woman. And in those days, that already meant she was on the margins. She was only to speak when she was spoken to. She was not allowed to worship with the men in the temple. She had to know her place. She was already marginalized. And then she was further marginalized. If she had a family, she would have had to have been separate from them for 12 years. She's an outcast. She shouldn't be anywhere near that crowd in the first place. You can probably imagine the people in the crowd in that room, can you? Probably imagine going, who does she think she is? You know, in this crowded space almost going, get away from me. Yet she knew that if she could only touch, as the old translations say, the hem of his garment. If I could only touch the hem of his garment, then I would be healed. Then I would be healed. Who touched me? And this woman says, it was me. All eyes are on her. All eyes are on Jesus. For Jesus, a rabbi. Jesus, a man. Jesus was well entitled to tell this woman where to go. He was well entitled to put her in her place. He was well entitled to make sure that she went to the margins of society and she never came back. But we are told that Jesus, looking at this woman who was destined for death, looked her in the eye and says, Daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith has healed you. He calls her daughter. He uses familial language. Language that is familiar. Language that is reserved for family. There's a big difference in calling I love you dearly. But there's a big difference between getting off the plane and my dad meeting me and saying, it's great to see you, son. They call him up and say, how are you, son? You know, and that's no slight on you. But there's, there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. And Jesus refers to this woman who was an outcast as daughter. In essence, he's saying, you're one of mine. You're one of mine. And this woman who was near to death, this woman who was at the end of her rope, this woman who was destined for death, the way that things were going, because nothing was working, instead of getting better, she was getting worse, Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Maybe you're feeling a wee bit on the margins just now. Maybe you're feeling a little, uh, maybe you're fighting a battle that nobody else knows about. Maybe you feel like you're an inconvenience to Jesus, so instead of going up to him, 
you just think, if only I could touch the hem of his garment. I don't want to bother him, he's busy. Oh, bah. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to know that Jesus looks at you and says, Daughter, son, your faith will make you well. And that doesn't mean that every physical ailment on this side of eternity will be healed. That's not what's happening here. But Jesus looks at you and he calls you son and he calls you daughter. And he says, you're not an inconvenience. You're not an outcast. You are my beloved. And I love you with an everlasting love. And that's what happened. There's this distraction along the way. We did start our service late, so we are going to finish late. Because I do believe the word has a word at the the Lord has a word for his people this morning. So as we continue to read on, it says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not anyone, let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Amen. Now this little girl, this little girl, we, we, we're not told her name. Her name wasn't Talitha. For in Aramaic, Talitha means little girl. We're not told what her name was. We're only told what her father did. Her father was a, a temple official. We're not told what her mother did. We're not told if she had any brothers or sisters. We're not told too many details of her life. But this little girl was 12 years old. That's something that we were told. She was one year away from being classified as a woman. For in Jewish society, you're either a man or a woman from the age of 13. So she's on the, on the brink of womanhood. And as Jesus is on the way to heal her, as Jesus has stopped, as he has had compassion on this woman who was bleeding, we're told that she died while Jesus was on the way, that Jesus didn't quite make it on schedule, that he didn't quite make it on time. We're also told, and from history we know, that whenever somebody dies, 
it wasn't necessarily just the family that gathered round, but they didn't have a, necessarily a week where they invited people to come in and spend time with the family and pass on their condolences, but rather they hired people to cry. They, they hired professional mourners to come and to weep and to wail outside of the home. Now, if my little girls died, I wouldn't need a professional weeper or wailer. That would be me. But this is the scene that's happening there. There are professional mourners that are gathered. The officials have sent word to say that this little girl is dead and not to bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus says, don't worry about it, just believe. Don't worry about it, just believe. And as Jesus leaves, he, he tells nine of his disciples to stay put. And he takes Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James, with him. And whenever he arrives, he sends the mourners out. He says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And we're told that they laugh at him. And when people laugh at you, what do you do? They tell them to get out. <laughs> but he told them to get out anyway. And he would have told them to get out. And he takes the mother and the father, Jairus and his wife, and Peter, James, and John into the room. And he sees this 12-year-old girl who is, for all intents and purposes, dead. She is physically dead. And we're told that he just walks over to her, places, her, places his hand on her. And says, Talitha, little girl, I say to you, get. And if you're there in the scene, you're thinking the rigor mortis has kicked in. Because this girl springs into life. A miracle has happened. And just as he had on the way to heal this girl from death, heal the woman from impending death, Jesus speaks these words of power over her. And she is raised to life. And just as Jesus had power over the wind and the waves, over nature, just as Jesus shows the power over evil as he casts out the demons from legion, Jesus shows and displays power over death as he speaks these words, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get <coughs> Jesus, once again, shows his power. They say that jealousy is not very becoming of a Christian, and rightfully so. But as I, but as I read this, I feel what I'm going to call righteous jealousy. As I think of what Peter, James and John got to experience in those moments, as they saw the master declare power over nature and over evil and then over death. And I was wondering and wrestling with well, what's the application of this for us as a people? And if you flick in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, 
we see a very similar scene play out. Jesus at this time had laid down his life. He had displayed his power over death by raising, by being raised from the dead himself. He has ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father and he has gifted to the disciples on the day of Pentecost the blessed promise, the Holy Spirit has descended upon them. And in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 is perhaps best known for the conversion of a man named Saul who would become Paul and he was kind of a big deal. But tucked away at the end of chapter 9 is a really similar story here. From verse 36, <coughs> we're told that in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. Or as the Americans say, Tabitha. There was a disciple named Tabitha. And in Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. But that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter, Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothings that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she, sh she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. <coughs> Dorcas, Dorcas, Tabitha, Tabitha, whatever way you want to pronounce it. She was a great woman known for her great works. She helped the poor. She made fine clothing. I once heard it described that if Dorcas was in your church today, she'd probably be the NMI president. She'd be getting people to help toward the work of mission. She'd be getting people to help at the olive branch. She'd be getting people to do this, that, and the other, because there's always somebody worse off than me. That was the kind of woman that Dorcas was. And whenever Dorcas, who was a real lifeline to these widows, who in Jewish society would have been left with absolutely nothing, she was an absolute lifeline to them. And whenever she died, this was a time of great mourning in the community. She was a huge, huge loss. For some individuals, it was as though the heart of the community had been ripped out of the community because such was her stature, such was the thought of her. And I hear that Peter, this guy who has followed Jesus, that Peter is in a nearby town, so they say, come again. Because he was there when Jesus raised Jairus as a little girl. 
He was there when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. He was there when Jesus healed that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Peter was there. Peter was there whenever the demons were cast out of legion. So if anybody can help, it's probably Peter. And he's only a town away. Go and get him. You see, Peter for a long time, as he had cast down his nets and left them behind and followed after Jesus, was in a period of transition in his life. And I wonder if maybe today if you feel like you're in a period of transition. Can you imagine what it would have been like that if you gave up everything and then the one who you gave up everything for suddenly wasn't here anymore? Peter finds himself in a period of, of transition and sure, he's the leader of the early church. Sure, he's got the gift of the Holy Spirit, but, but you know, I, I was called to be like Jesus. I just, I fall short all the time. And I know that time is, is getting away from us this morning, so I'm just going to say the really important part. In the Aramaic, as Peter finds himself in this room with Dorcas, as he speaks the words Tabitha or Talitha Kun, there would have only been one letter difference in the original language between what Jesus said to that little girl and what Peter said to Dorcas. Talitha Kun, little girl, I say to you, Get up. Tabitha Kun. Tabitha. Dorcas. I say to you, get up. There was one letter difference. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but as I read about Peter in the scriptures, sometimes I want to bang my head against the wall and go, do you not get it, big lad? And sometimes as I reflect, on my own life, I'm like, oh, I am Peter. I maybe don't get it, big lad, either. But there is something incredible that happens in a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because no longer was Peter in transition, but Peter had been transformed into the likeness of his master. And if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you and for me. A foul-mouthed fisherman. Transformed by the power of God. Able to do incredible things in the name of the Saviour. And I wonder this morning <coughs> if today is the day to stop being in transition. And what I mean by that is to stop just saying that we're following after Jesus, but actually to move into transformation and allow him to mold us into everything that he has called us to be. You might not know a Tabitha or a Tabitha. You might not know a Dorcas. You might not heal anybody and raise them from the dead. But you need to know, and I need to be reminded that that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same spirit that 
with which Jesus raised that little girl and healed that bleeding woman. That same spirit which was within Peter as he raised Tabitha from the dead, that same spirit is at, is at work within you and within me. And if God can use a foul-mouthed fisherman like Peter, he can use little old you and little old me. Because there's nothing that is too hard nor too difficult for Jesus Christ. And the question he asks us today is this. Are you going to let me transform you? Or are you going to keep playing games? Might we be a people who are transformed? Transformed and moulded into the image of Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Um, and we're going to sing a, a song we haven't sung in a long time, actually. It's known as the Potter's Hand. Beautiful Lord, wonderful Saviour. And the chorus says, take me, use me, fill me, mould me. May this be a response that today we're not happy to be simply sailing along in transition. But actually that we want to be transformed, part of God, and used for his glory. So let us respond. And as we do, I've been reminded that we haven't left our offering yet. So please do give of your tithes and offerings to the work of the kingdom. But do respond to the word of the Lord. The reality is that those who are in transition, those who perhaps have given their life to Jesus but not completely surrendered everything over, those in transition spectate. Yet those who are transformed participate in the kingdom work that is to be done. So let us not be spectators. I said that I was almost jealous of Peter, James and John as they were in that room and as they see Jesus say Talitha who. But I think even as I reflect, I'm more jealous of Peter as he stood over Dorcas and he said Tabitha who. For he did not just get to spectate and see the wonders that Jesus did, but he got to participate and be a part and do the Master's work in the Master's absence. And that's what we're called to do, church. That's what we're called to do. So as we repeat this chorus one last time, I don't want to create something man-made, but I do believe that the Spirit's in the room. And I just invite you to respond and say, I'm done spectating. Lord, help me, transform me, use me, and fill me, that I may participate in your kingdom work here in East Belfast, where you have placed me. So let us sing.